right. Good morning. I think I say this every Sunday, but uh, it, it is truly a blessing and honor for me to be with you guys and worship the Lord and just gather together and open His Word and to learn together and grow together and just to encourage each other. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. and Thank you for watching online. If you can't join us in person, we're blessed. I too just want to say thank you real quick for this past Wednesday, for those of you who were able to join us at Kadena Marina. God bless the day. There was a little bit of a sprinkle, but um, we were able to just hang out and have some good time of fellowship and just breaking of bread together and just rejoicing in what the Lord is doing in the lives of just our church family members. And so we praise the Lord for that. If you, if you missed it, I'd encourage you, don't fret. Uh, we, as a church, one of the things that we love to do is uh, hang out and uh, have fellowship and break bread together, uh, so much so that our nickname is Calorie Chapel, and so uh, there'll be some opportunities coming up uh, in the next few weeks here, and so we'll let you guys know. We can connect together and just, you know, share our lives together. Before we begin, I, I do have a couple of things I want to share with you in terms of a praise and a couple of prayer requests. So the praise is... Uh, last Sunday, in fact, uh, Matt and Adina Dillon had their baby, a baby boy. So Noah Matthew Dillon was born, and praise the Lord. Uh, God answered their prayers. They had been praying for a baby for a number of years, and, um, and so God was so good to them to be able to answer their prayers. So we rejoice with them. Uh, also, a couple of prayer requests. Uh, we have some families that are PCSing. We're going to be praying for the Cox family this morning. Dwayne and Sarah, we love you guys. Thank you for uh, just making a home with us this past season and uh, just praying for your time back stateside and all the Lord has for you. And then also you guys can pray for my son, Nehemiah. Uh, he was here this morning helping with worship. So he takes off on Wednesday, uh, heading back to Southern California for the next round of uh, Bible college. And so I know that he'd appreciate your prayers for him. And then if he owes you money, just see Christy. She'll, <laughs> she'll settle all his counts for you. So... <laughs> All right. Oh, I, I, I have a saved round from announcements. Um, that is, so during VBS, one of the things that we, sorry, this page is kind of flapping around. Um, one of the things that the kids did was that they um, had a mission focus. And part of that mission focus for us was um, asking if you would prayerfully consider helping to offset the cost of sending shoe boxes to the Philippines. And so every September we do what we've called, I think the last 12 years now for us, uh, Christmas in September. And it's very similar to the Samaritan's Purse uh, Operation Christmas Child, if you're familiar with that. So it looks very similar. The, the difference for us is that the boxes, uh, instead of giving them to Samaritan's Purse, and of course they send them uh, to wherever there's a need, and it's a tremendous program, and if you're already involved in that, praise the Lord, continue to be, uh, do so. But for us, we, we send them specifically to the Philippines, and we send them to uh, Pastor Lito at Calvary Chapel Manila, who we uh, know and love, and we've had a long-standing relationship with him and his family. In fact, his son Azer is one of our youth leaders and worship leaders here. Uh, and then that church does tremendous ministry. They do so much with so little. And one of their outreaches is to kids that uh, just live in the different, um, you know, poorer areas and street kids who uh, generally get little to nothing. 
Uh, and so you guys, we as a church then uh, go get shoe boxes and we fill it with various gifts and we wrap them and then we put them in a, a big box. We put them on a boat and we want to get there before Christmas. So that's why we do it in September. It takes some weeks to get there. Uh, and then they go to the Philippines and Lito takes them and he blesses the kids there in the city. In fact, uh, you guys have been so generous over the years. There's more than enough. And so he takes the extra and he brings them to the areas in northern Luzon and blesses some of the other children there as well. And so I think in the years past, we've been able to give like 200 plus boxes. And so all that to say, uh, September is just a few weeks away. I want to give you a heads up that that is coming. We'll be rolling that out. It's really simple. We'll have some um, colored tags, uh, boys and girls and age group. And if the Lord would lay it on your heart to be a blessing to one or some, you just grab that tag, uh, make a shoe box, wrap it up, put the tag back on, and then we will put them in a box. And the kids, through you guys, really the Lord uh, provided. So we, we have the funds. That in years past, we've paid about 1200 bucks to ship it, but through VBS, praise the Lord, God provided those funds. So exciting. And so that's going to be happening in September, okay? So just want to give you a heads up and let you know that that's coming soon and a great way to uh, love practically uh, others, especially what James has been talking about. All right. Well, that's where we are this morning in the book of James. If you are uh, new or visiting or you got out the door and you uh, didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. We'd love to loan you one. You just have to raise your hand real high in the air and the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible. We were too cheap to get the chairs that have racks in the bottom. And so this is the way that we, that we, we do it. As you're turning there, uh, just a, a reminder, you know, James, actually, I don't know if I reminded you last week or in the last two weeks, when we wrote the book of James, as we read James, it's actually a transliteration uh, of the name Jacob. And um, James, if you want to say it, his real name's Jacob. So for our, our Japanese brothers and sisters, when they turn in their Bibles, they're turning to the book of Jacob. That's Jacob. That's his, his given name. And uh, remember, he's the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he came to faith in his own half-brother after the resurrection. So he himself was moved by the power and the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God raised James, Jacob, to be a leader, a key leader in the early church. And, uh, and we've noted together that his style is no nonsense. He is not afraid to uh, share some hard truths. And he will get to his points quickly, and he moves on. At times he'll circle back, as we'll see, even as he talks about wisdom, he'll come back to that again. And, and really, he, he hits us with some truths that he considers inspired by God's Spirit to be important and for us to consider as we follow the Lord. And the entire book, you remember, really the theme of it is, is faith in Christ and faith in terms of what it looks like practically. We might say faith with shoes on, if you will. James chapter 3, as we looked last week, reminded us that our faith is displayed uh, in our words, and that our words have power, our words are influential by our very mouths and the things that you and I speak to others. We can 
literally build a life. <laughs> we can in inspire, encourage, bring healing, reconciliation to another person or with the same mouth, we can wreck a person. We can cut them down. We can destroy them. We can belittle them. We can destroy a life. And James would contend that the mature in faith, maturity is displayed in the way that we control our mouths and that we're cautious with this weapon, if you will, of our words. It's now here in verse 13 through 18 that we'll look at this morning. I entitled our message, A Word to the Wise. He brings us, pivots, if you will, into the topic of wisdom. And he will address, he'll make a contrast between different wisdoms. Wisdom that is from above and basically all other wisdom. And wisdom that we should pursue. And what is the product of that pursuit? What does it look like in our lives? Some characteristics. And so we'll, we're going to look at that this morning and hopefully that you and I together will be encouraged in our faith and challenged in our faith as we grow uh, closer to the Lord. All right, with that, I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God and his word, please. I will read 13 through 18. I have the New King James. I know that we have different translations. Sometimes people ask me, what's the best? The best is the one you read, right? <laughs> the best is the one you read. Um. Inspired by God's Spirit, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Here's a, a contrast, but. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, James adds, confusion and every evil thing are there. Verse 17, another contrast. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and hypocrisy. And then he, in a sense, bookends his thoughts by saying the fruit is, of righteousness is sown in peace by those who then make peace. All right. I know Dave prayed, but I, I want to pray. I want to pray for the Cox family this morning and even for Nehemiah, my own son. And so would you, uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the day, your grace and your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, we thank you for our time of worship and that that reminder that you are God who pursues us. Lord, your word tells us that even while we are yet sinners, you demonstrated your love for us by sending Jesus. It's Jesus who came to seek and to save that who is lost. And Lord, that was us. And Lord, even for, for those of us who uh, tend to drift or wander away, or perhaps even like the prodigal of just been away for a season. Lord, we thank you for that beautiful picture and reminder that you are the Father that runs to us. What amazing grace and mercy that you extend, that you would pursue us. Lord, thank you. And God, as we have this opportunity to lift up our church family members, we, we pray for the Cox family, Lord. We love them. We're grateful for them. 
And Father, by faith, we say thank you for how you will continue to work in and through their life and their next duty station. Lord, how you will provide community and a church and friends and favor in the next uh, workplace for Dwayne. And so, God, we just look forward to seeing and hearing of the testimony that you'll continue to do in the Cox family. We love them so. Lord, be with Nehemiah, too, and grateful for the gift of time that we had this summer. Pray that you would bless him as he returns to school. Lord, just enlarge his heart and spirit for all that you want to pour in, in into his life. And Lord, uh, bless for the grace that you have in my own children and really all of our children, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, would you take a moment, say hello to someone, and then you can have a seat. Well, if, if you were with us last week, or perhaps you already know this, we noted how the, the Bible has much to say about what we say. The, the book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, I think in particular, provide us some great godly guidance in the way that we would wield our words and use our mouths. As we mentioned before, Proverbs 18, 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue, the writer tells us. Or Proverbs 16, 24 says, kind words are like honey, they're sweet to the soul and uh, they're health for our body. And, and along with words of wisdom, often packaged together are words, or excuse me, it's wisdom about words, but it's also wisdom about wisdom. And wisdom about words and words about wisdom. The, the Bible provides a, a treasure chest of wisdom for us to glean and to grow by. It's truth for us to read and appreciate, but most importantly for us to apply. In fact, the Bible testifies of itself that it is God's source of wisdom. Paul would tell young Timothy, writing to him, reminding him that from his childhood that he had been taught the scriptures, that he knew the word. And Paul then reminds him that they are able to give Timothy the wisdom that he needs. First and foremost, that it led to salvation, the revelation of Jesus and God's plan. It's through faith then which comes in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.15. The book of Proverbs begins with a word about wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we're told to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, that we would receive instruction, that we could be wise in the way that we go in righteousness and justice and equity. The scriptures give prudence and knowledge and discretion to the youth. You know, wisdom really is one of those things I, I believe that you can never really have too much of. But even if you have wisdom, that we can still pursue wisdom and ask God for more wisdom. 
We can never have enough wisdom, I believe. It's like closet space. You can always use a little bit more. Or whipped cream, right? Or, uh, or cilantro, amen? Cilantro? No, Lauren, get out of here. Ushers, take her away. Or cowbell, more cowbell, right? Yeah. No such thing as having too much. Godly wisdom tops that list. And so as we look at the scripture this morning, uh, you guys, let's pile on, if you will, wisdom. That our hearts be open and yielded to what God wants to say about being wise. And so James begins, at least he pivots again here at verse 13, talking from, about words now to wisdom. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Notice he begins, or it's a question. Now, if you've been with us or you're familiar with the book of James, you know that's one of his uh, methods is he wants to engage the reader to use their brain to think through some of the things that he's presenting. In fact, it's a method of all scripture, um, especially the New Testament, a way for us to think through what God is saying. We've talked before that our faith isn't a leap in the dark, it's a leap in the light. We're called to worship God with all of our heart and our strength and our mind, right? Our heart and our mind. And so in the previous verses, James has been asking these questions really as prompts for the reader to have a a, a thoughtful consideration of the points that he's trying to make. And the point that he was trying to make was it would be inconsistent for us to say we believe in Jesus, we love God, but then we're cursing our neighbor or we're talking trash about somebody he, he would say, uh, can, a, can a, a spring produce both fresh water and salt water? Of course, the answer is rhetorical, no. Uh, does, a, does, grapes produce, does a grapevine produce figs? Does fig tree produce olives? Again, the rhetorical question, the answer would be no. And so we understand he's leading and, and, and supporting his, his argument. But here now in verse 13, he asks another question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, when I read that, there's a part of me thinks, okay, that that also seems to be rhetorical. The assumption being that everyone who's reading this would think, okay, that's me. You're talking to me. I think I'm wise. I think I have some understanding. I think typically we we don't think of ourselves as completely clueless. Maybe in some areas, I'm not ashamed to admit that when it comes to working on cars and uh, auto mechanics, I I don't have a clue. I'm at the mercy of the garage. When it comes to uh, the topic of cryptocurrency, I have some friends who are trying to teach me, I'm like, I have no clue you're talking a foreign language to me. I don't know what you're talking about. I had a friend... uh, at his, on his coffee table, he had an 800-page book. And the title of the book was, What Men Know About Women. 800 pages. I, it intrigued me. I opened it up, but the pages were all blank. They're all just... You know, yeah. <laughs> Who is wise and understanding amongst you? Anybody willing to say, yeah, that's me? I wonder if someone raised their hand when this was first being read, like, some guy, yeah, that's me. Oh. I think it's akin to asking, like, who's the most humble here? Raise your hand. Yeah. Or, or who hates attention? Raise your hand. Let's point you out. Yeah. Notice he asks the question, but then he, he answers it for us. 
And it's not by a show of hands. James doesn't say, hey, raise your hand if you think that you're this person. He doesn't call for a show of hands, but he calls for a show of conduct. And so really we're talking then not about just a a momentary, I think that's me, but really a, a, a lifestyle. Character, of action, and of attitudes. And wisdom can be found in words, but it is displayed by works. That's where James is bringing us. Sometimes people ask me, like, you have any words of wisdom? And the only one that I really know is don't eat yellow snow. Right? <laughs> but... But it doesn't apply here, so I'm done. I don't know. I got nothing. It's one thing to know what to do, and it's yet another thing to actually do it. And that's where wisdom comes in. We've talked about wisdom before. James uh, broaches the topic back in chapter 1. But James here is telling us that wisdom, and let's qualify it, godly wisdom, that's what he's talking about. It will be manifested by our actions and our attitudes. You remember that the the theme of James overall really is faith. It's faith in Christ. Maybe more specifically, it's faith in Christ and how it's displayed in our lives. We might say it's faith in Christ with shoes on. He's the one who says you can profess these things, but you better make sure there's an equal sign between what you say you believe and how you behave. That our faith displayed by works. And works is the fruit of our faith. And it is to the Christ follower, it is to the Christian, that James is writing these things and making this exhortation. So there are and there is some application for us as believers today. But let me just begin where the Bible begins when it comes to wisdom. See, the Bible teaches us the beginning of wisdom begins with knowing God. To know and love, to revere, to worship, to fear the Lord. Proverbs chapter 9, and there's other places, but Proverbs 9, 9 through 11. We're told, instruct a wise man, he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, they'll increase in their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That is where wisdom begins. And it's good for us just to affirm that in our own heart, in our own hearts. And I'd add this then. The wisest thing that you and I could ever do on this side of eternity is to receive the gift of eternity, the gift of salvation that God offers us freely, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's salvation through no other name, through no other means, by God's grace alone, and God loved you, through faith alone and Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone. And that's where wisdom begins. And so if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, guess what? The wise thing that you can do in your life today is receive Christ. To believe upon him. We agree with God that we're sinful. We need the Lord. We turn from that. We turn to God. Believing on our heart. Confessing with our mouths. 
receiving the gift of salvation. That's the wisest thing that we can do. Notice James adds this very important characteristic here as he asks this question. It's not a show of hands. It's a show of your, of your conduct, by your good works. But then he qualifies it saying that they're done in the meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. And so there's action, and I would add there's attitude. And meekness, by the way, I know that you know this, it's not a synonym for weakness. I can't think of those two words as being the same. Meekness really is power, but under control. It's power constrained or restrained. It's similar to the illustration that he gave us earlier when he was talking about our words, these word pictures of how horses are led by this small bit in their mouth or this mighty sailboat, ships that are led by this little rudder. And we expanded that. We talked about how these powerful, thoroughbred racehorses, majestic and strong, and you can see their muscles, and yet they're controlled by these tiny little people called jockeys. It, that, that's power, but yet under control. That's meekness. That's what meekness is. And of course, it is a key attribute, really, the attitude of Jesus himself. Right? What, what defined, what were the, one of the characteristics of our Lord and Savior? Well, he was meek and he was mild. But do, do not think that Jesus was weak in any capacity, though. Like fully capable at any time. And there are times where we get glimpses of his power. Even when the, uh, the soldiers came in to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane and they were seeking him, they asked, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he, and he just simply said, I am. And the scriptures tell us, the gospels tell us that the whole army fell back. You remember he's on the boat in the middle of a typhoon in the Sea of Galilee and he just simply says to the storm, be still. Well, we have glimpses of his power. In fact, he even told the disciples at one time, why well, he told Peter, hey, put away your sword. Do you not know that I can call to heaven? My father will release 12 legions of angels and they can come at any time at my disposal and they can rush in and take care of this. He would tell Pontius Pilate, you have no authority over me. The only authority that you have is because it's been given to you. It was Jesus who said, I have the power. I lay down my life and I'm going to raise it up again. See, that's meekness. That's power. That's authority. That's ability. That's influence. And yet it's all under control. And James contends for us that, that our wisdom should model that. The way in which we conduct ourselves and and so what's, what's one practical way in which that looks like? What, is that? what does that look like fleshed out in our lives? Let me just give you one aspect of it, because there's a lot, but let me give you one, where God's wisdom in your life and mine will be marked by meekness. Just because you have the authority and the power and the ability to do something doesn't automatically mean that you should. That's wisdom. 
exercising restraint. And I dare say that often that is the wisest thing to do. If nothing else, just take pause for a moment and pray. And pray before you respond. That's wisdom. If you're like me, I know for me, uh, the, uh, I tend to make the worst decisions by just a knee-jerk reaction. I respond in my flesh. I respond without thinking. I respond without praying. The Bible says, let's not lean upon our own understanding. Yet in all our ways, we acknowledge the Lord. And so meekness is to yield to the Spirit working in our lives. Let me give you another scenario. Meekness, allowing the Spirit to work in your life, also means that we don't automatically just trust in our experiences. Well, there can be wisdom that comes from experience. There's wisdom that comes with age. Not always. Sometimes people are just wise beyond their years. Especially those that know and love the Lord. I appreciated Sarah's prayer this morning. She's praying. She's 15 years old, the gal that led worship for us this morning. In the book of Acts, in chapter 12, there's this scene where, where Peter's thrown in prison. And uh, he's thrown in prison because he was sharing his faith. He's bold for Christ. If you know the account, there's a lot of lessons there, but he's asleep, so he's not sweating. He realizes God's in control. And God's going to bust him out of jail. And so the Lord sends the, uh, the jail-busting angel His chains come off. He's chained to these guards. The doors blow open. In fact, he's sound asleep. Reminds me of my teenagers. The angel has to kind of wake him up. Peter gets up and he walks out. Past the guards, through the doors, just walks right out. That's chapter 12. Four chapters later, chapter 16, you have a very similar scenario. But instead of Peter this time, it's Paul and it's Silas. For the same reason, they are uh, in jail, they're in prison because they shared their faith, they're bold for Jesus. So it's very familiar and yet slightly different. God doesn't send a jail-busting angel this time. God uses the natural to do the supernatural. We read this earthquake happens, the doors blow open, the chains fall off, and what do they do? See, precedent would be like, hey, I remember this, Peter told us, he got up and he walked out. So let's get up and walk out. But if you're familiar with that portion, you know they didn't. They stayed. And there's a jailer there and he thought, oh no, I'm done. Paul gets to minister to him and his family, he comes to faith. His family comes to faith. And so I love that portion. It reminds us that just because there's a, a, a present or an experience or or how God worked in another person's life doesn't automatically mean that that's how God's going to work in our life. It doesn't automatically mean that we should just do the same thing. See, meekness of wisdom recognizes that God may lead us differently in very similar situations. So the key is, let's yield to the Spirit. What does God want us to do? So James asked this question. He says, who's wise? Who has understanding? You don't need to raise your hand. Let's 
Let's see it in your life. It should be marked by a meekness in what you do. Now he makes this contrast. He says, but, but if you have bitter envy and you have self-seeking going on in your hearts, he says, don't, don't boast. Don't, don't lie against the truth. James now makes this contrast. It's the antithesis of godly wisdom. Now again, how do we know? How do we know if it's from the Lord or if it's from this other source? Well, James tells us by its fruit, what, what it produces, what, how it's displayed. And so wisdom is akin to our faith, kind of tied together. Our conduct is the witness of our wisdom source. Just as our conduct is the witness of our faith, it's also the source of where we're getting wisdom from. And that is important for us as believers. That's important for us as Christ followers. See, instead of restraint and control, if in your heart and mind, what we've adopted, what we're doing, the wisdom that we're applying in our lives, if it's producing in us a bitterness, or we're becoming jealous, we're becoming envious, we're if, if it's just all about me and what I can do and me getting ahead and getting myself noticed, it's self-seeking, if that becomes my motive, James is going to say, that's, that's not of God. And so we can't pretend to be something that we're not. We can't pretend uh, to be living in a way that uh, we're not. You know, where, you know who I think about when I think about this verse? I think about King Saul. I think his life is a great illustration of verse 14. If you're not familiar with King Saul, I encourage you, you can read in the Old Testament, specifically 1 Samuel. That's where his story begins and some of the things that he did. But if you're familiar with him, you remember that he starts off pretty good. Like he starts off with humility. He has a lot going for him. He's tall. The Bible says he's good looking. So there's these natural attributes about him. And even initially when he gets anointed as the king, he, he, he's hiding even in his own uh, induction ceremony. Samuel has to go find him. So he, he starts off well. But after some time, and really quickly after some time, we begin to see a change in his character and his conduct. Well, it's another lesson. You, you want to test a person, their character and conduct? Give them some responsibility. Give them a title and watch what they do with it. Well, Saul begins to uh, make some mistakes. He's, his pride, his arrogance... His assumption of God's grace, his disobedience, all of that would lead then to God saying, okay, we're going to go with a different plan. And God was going to raise up this young man by the name of David, who Saul had community with, connection with. And you know the account, what happened in Saul's heart, he becomes bitter, he becomes angry, he becomes jealous. 
It leads them into doing, uh, you know, horrible things to try to trap and trick and even kill David. I mean, during, during a time where David's even ministering to him, playing him some sweet lullabies, Saul picks up a spear, not once, but twice, like tries to huck it at David. I mean, that, that's what happened. The, it is bitter envy. Begin to consume his heart, and then, of course, Saul then gets just overcome by this jealousy, this rage, this hatred, chasing David down. And ultimately, he would destroy, Saul would destroy himself, forfeit his role and position. His own family become jacked up. And through it all, Saul's twisting the truth, spinning situations, trying to put himself in a light that he didn't really, just lying. And so verse 14 to me is what Saul did. It wasn't godly wisdom. Notice James' commentary, verse 15. He says, this wisdom. He makes a distinction here. This wisdom, distinct from godly wisdom, it's very different. And you know the source of it because of the behavior that comes from it. This brand is a different brand. Anybody here, anybody here willing to admit they're brand loyal to certain brands? Yeah. A couple of you. <laughs> My, I'm going to put Christy on blast. My, my wife is brand loyal to certain brands. And one of them, she swears by. Like this non-toxic cleaning products. She's like, we have to get this. All the other stuff is no good. I'm like, it's so expensive. You know. But nope, this is the stuff that she wants and needs. You know. And, oddly enough, she's brand loyal to a particular brand of mayonnaise. <laughs> uh, I, I think it is, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, but I do know when I buy the wrong one, because then, yeah. Better not come home with that other stuff. You know, her preference of brand, to her, she just contends it works better on these particular things. All the rest is junk or it's, you know, subpar. James is saying, if you're brand, if your version of living in wisdom, if the brand of wisdom that you have adopted, you've pursued, that you've applied, that you're uh, ingesting, if it produces them bitterness and jealousy and envy, uh, we make it all about us. James just says, that's not of God. That's not of God and that's not for the person of God. Here's what he says. He says, this wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly, it is sensual, and it is demonic. Isn't it interesting? Those three particular words he uses to describe that particular wisdom, it's those same three words, by the way, that describe the arenas of our spiritual battles. Right? We fight against, if you will, the world, the world's ways, the ideology of this world. 
The Bible tells us who's really in control of that. The God of this age, lowercase g, that's the devil, that's Satan. We also fight against the sensual. The sensual is the idea of, of, us, of our flesh. It's our self. It's our sinful, selfish temptations and tendencies. We, we fight against ourselves, our old nature. And then, of course, we fight against spiritual wickedness. The devil and his influences. And together, they have their own brand of wisdom that they love to promote. And we are tempted often then to grab. And sometimes we call it conventional wisdom. The wisdom of the world. And, and even in the earliest days of the church, this so-called wisdom of the world was actually, well, foolishness in the eyes of God. It's not James, but it's Paul that writes to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And Paul asks a really similar question. Earlier in the chapter, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.20, he says, Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the philosopher of this age? We can paraphrase. Who thinks they're smarty pants? Who thinks they have all the answers? Then he asked this, has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? You know, he, Paul had said that, he quotes, as it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. The way of the world can be crafty, but it, it, it often lacks character. It just appeals to the ability of self. The wisdom of the world is a self-made person. You know, there's this scene in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. We're told he comes in through this particular gate called the Sheep Gate. And he, and he comes to this area uh, that's called Bethesda. And it's there at Bethesda, this really interesting scene that he comes into where there's just uh, a, a ton of people who are there that are sick. It's almost like the waiting room of a hospital. But people who have been uh, lame from birth, infirmed, um, disabilities, just you, you name it. There's this collection of people, and, and, and John tells us something curious that, that there's this belief, and he doesn't affirm if it was a legend or if it was true, but just there's this belief that whoever was there, and there was a pool there, that if they could get to the pool first, the angel would come down and stir the water, and like a fountain of youth or a fountain of healing, if they could get there first, they would be healed. And so everybody's there if you will, jockeying for position. And Jesus comes into that scene and he sees this man and the Bible says that he had been that way for 38 years. And he asks him, do you want to be made well? And the man doesn't reply with a simple, yes, that's why I'm here. <laughs> he tells him, 
I don't have anybody to help me get to first place. And I read that, and to me, it is a picture of the wisdom and the way of the world. It is a dog-eat-dog world. You look out for yourself and nobody else because nobody else is going to look out for you. It's me, myself, and I. It's look out for numero uno. And you do what you need to do to get ahead, to get first, to be noticed. Because that's the way the world operates. And so you adopt that policy and you play that game. You know, nowadays it seems the so-called wisdom of the world is, I don't, I don't know the right way to describe it, it's gotten more warped. It doesn't even remotely resemble what I would say is just wisdom. Right? Common sense is now uncommon. And I do think that there is a progressive Marxist revisionist, uh, liberal ideology. And it has taken a stronghold. It has come into politics and education and media, entertainment, in our sports, in gang. It has come into the church. And it is a brand of earthly sensual, demonic wisdom and ideology. You know, back in chapter 1, James told us where to turn when we need counsel. Where do we go when we don't know what to do? Where do we get our marching orders from? How do we conduct ourselves? What should we do in this particular situation? Where do we go for wisdom? James tells us plainly, go to God. Ask of the Lord. God will supply. I, if you were with us before, I, I likened it to, as a child of God, God gives us, if you will, a spiritual ATM card. And you and I can go anytime we need, any hour of the day, and withdraw an unlimited amount of supply. Nehemiah is my third kid that we've launched to college out of four. So I got one left in the shoot. But I remember when Noah, our oldest first left, he's like, well, are you going to give me your credit card? I'm like, what? No. He's like, what if I need money? I'm like, you get a job. He's like, well, but I, I need these things I can just pull out. I'm like, no, do you? Like, I, we got like $3 in the account. I don't know what you're thinking, buddy. But praise the Lord, our, our Heavenly Father says, hey, withdraw away the riches in Christ Jesus that we have. And James focuses that for us and says, it's wisdom. Anytime you need, for any situation you need, you can make a withdrawal. And God loves to give us generously and liberally. And yet what happens Maybe you can relate to me. I'll, I'll, I'll admit, there's times where I, I don't, the default for me doesn't, I don't turn to the Lord. I, I'm looking at social media. I'm turning to blogs and uh, podcasts and authors and YouTube and social media influencers. And how we get pulled in that direction. 
sometimes we don't turn to the Lord because it's just our pride. It's our pride that keeps us from asking. We don't like to be seen as weak or need. You ever heard when someone has said, oh, Christianity is just a crutch? I used to say that before I knew the Lord. I remember watching this uh, TV app, or was a news program with Larry King in the States. Pastor Greg Laurie was on there. And Larry King said, what do you say to people that say Christianity is just a crutch? And Greg Laurie replied and said, I disagree. It's the whole hospital. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what it is. Right? King, where, where are we turning? To whom are we turning when we need wisdom? We need counsel. We need advice. Are we turning to Scripture? Are we turning to prayer? Lord, what do I do in this situation? I need some bearing. need some guidance. I need some wisdom. Or are we turning to Google? Are we turning to blogs? Gang, it's not weakness to turn to God for help. In fact, I'd even say that, that is wisdom. That's the wise thing to do. Turn to the Lord. I think the wisest thing we can do, we made this point before, is go to the scripture and say, God, what should we do? To ask the question, what does the Bible say we should do? What does God want us to do in this situation? And so he defines that this wisdom, that's not from above. It's of your flesh, it's of the devil, it's of the world. And then he adds that where that happens, where envy and self-seeking exists, well, here's what it produces. Confusion and every evil thing are there. That's what it's marked by. What's the result of, our, of pursuing a worldly wisdom, of applying worldly wisdom into your life? Again, James doesn't hold back. He just says, confusion is what happens. And to me, I, I think all you got to do is look around at the world today and, and see the, uh, the validation of that, right? We, I, I feel like the world more and more is living in a, a, a greater increasing state of confusion because of the ideology of the world. And gang, people are, our loved ones are, our children are, being assaulted every day by the way of the world quote-unquote, the wisdom of the world. Trying to define what's acceptable. Trying to insert their definition of what is right. But really, it's just lies. It's twists of truth. And people are more confused than ever, living in darkness, blind to the agenda of the God of the sage. Now, when we say these things, we want to do that from a place of pride because the Bible reminds us that was us too. We once walked according to the power, right? We once walked according to the course of this world. But God in his grace opened our eyes. And now we have heavenly perspective. And one of the areas, especially lately, that's being hijacked by the so-called wisdom of the world is the definition of what a man is and what a woman is. 
there's a special that's going on. A guy walks around and he's asking people, can you give me the definition of a woman? And people are so confused, they can't even define what a woman is. And yet we have the scriptures. We can go to the book of Genesis. And the Bible tells us plainly and clearly, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God created you and me. He created people in his image. The lie and the wisdom of the world is, oh, we came from the goo, then the zoo, then you became you. <laughs> and, that, and that's what, you know, our science books, many of them are trying to teach our kids. To devoid them then of purpose and of identity. That's why there's this gender confusion and identity confusion. God created them, male and female. God designed and God defined sex, gender. God designed and God defined what marriage should be, one man and one woman for their lifetime. God designed and God defined what family is. Man and wife coming together in that gift of marriage where physical and, and intimacy can be expressed and enjoyed. And the fruit of that, then having kids, which I don't, I don't need to preach to our church. You, know, we, you guys are fruitful and multiplying. Praise the Lord. I think, I think we're at 10 babies already and 12 more on the list. So yeah, the nursery's going to need some help. In the, but praise the Lord. By the, way, by the way, you know wisdom? Wisdom is often personified as female in the scriptures. You go through the book of Proverbs. For example, Proverbs chapter 7, it says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And it talks about how we are to pursue her. And Kind of interesting. In fact, even in the New Testament, the word for wisdom is feminine in the Greek. It's the word Sophia. So if you're thinking about a baby name, you're having a girl, that's a great name. It means wisdom. But we're living in a world nowadays where that's the world, worldly wisdom that says, oh, a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy and they can choose and they can flip-flop and they get to decide. And It's just confusion. And the world's already tried to redefine what marriage is, try to redefine when life begins. Uh, the conventional wisdom of this world, it creates tremendous confusion. Again, we, we want to be gracious and we know that God loves people. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. So we, we get to be light and salt, to speak truth, love and grace to those people. But if we think that James is being a little too harsh, notice what he adds. He says, where envy and self-seeking exist, where that brand of worldly wisdom is, confusion is the result, and every evil thing. Like he doesn't hold back. Every evil thing. That way of thinking that ideology, James just tells us plainly, it's evil. 
It's anti-God. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-Christian. It's anti-Scripture. And gang, I want to say this in love. If that is the case, if we agree with that, then we as followers of Christ should have nothing to do then with worldly wisdom. The opposite would be then to saturate our lives with the wisdom that we find from God. In his word, through his spirit. The Bible says all that we need for godliness and right living has been given to us through the spirit. And I would add through the spirit then who inspired the authors of this word. A lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Then, then if that is true, then for us, what's implied, then we should love and learn and live the word of God. Saturate your life. Saturate your relationships. And if you have kids, can I say this in love? Teach them the scriptures. Because the world is at war for the heart and mind and soul of your kid. The devil would love nothing more than to teach your children indoctrinate them in his ways. And then he ends, or excuse me, he continues, contrast verse 17, but the wisdom that's from above, so wisdom from above, heaven's brand, it's marked by purity and peace, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. There's a lot of benefits of this brand of wisdom, God's brand, heaven's brand. And we apply it in our lives. What does it produce for us? Well, God's way is the way of everlasting. And God wants us to bring us, God wants to bring us into a place of growing godliness, purity, and holiness. You know, as it's been said, no one drifts into holiness. You know, one easy litmus test of whether something is of the Lord. Like, is this wisdom from God or is this wisdom just from myself or is this worldly wisdom? Is the answer to the question, will this bring me closer to God? Like, this decision of what I do or where I go and what I'm deciding, is this, is this going to take me away from the Lord? Or will this bring me closer to the Lord? Bring me into holiness and purity. He says, first, wisdom is pure. Then, then it's peaceable. And often the result of a wise choice is peace. There's no fretting. There's no anxiousness. You're at peace. All right, we... You're right. This is what God wants, and we're, we can be at peace with that. I think sometimes we make the mistake to sacrifice purity for the sake of peace. But the order is important. It's first pure, then it's peaceable. Because we don't want peace at any cost. And sometimes we do, right? We will compromise our convictions. Or we'll turn a blind eye to sin or a situation when God's never called us to do that. We don't want to sacrifice purity for the sake of peace. Wisdom from above is gentle. It's meek. It's mild. It's fair. It's equitable. 
It's willing to yield. The idea is there's humility there. We esteem others better than ourselves. It recognizes the boundaries of others. And wisdom also, godly wisdom, recognizes and respects our own limitations. You can be our, our, our own pride that refuses to yield. We talked about earlier, sometimes... Oh, you have the ability, you have the power, you have the resource to overpower somebody. Right? You can get your way. But is that really the wise thing to do? Or sometimes it's even just recognizing our own limits that we don't overstep what God's given to us. Again, I think about King Saul. It's exactly what he did. He stepped into areas that God never ordained for him. He tried to take on the function of the priest. Samuel comes and rebukes him. says, hey, that's not for you to do. And then he made excuses. He made lies. He played the blame game. And so it's willing to yield. It's willing to recognize, okay, there's limits here. and Maybe the wise thing for me to do is just to hold on. Oh, there's the bell. All right. I'll end Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. All of those descriptors describe what James talked about, our faith. And then he ends with, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We are the recipients and we are the distributors. Godly wisdom will lead us to peace, to mercy, to sincerity. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And so gang, we, we want to live in a wisdom that brings us into humility, good works, sharing and purpose, and growing together in the grace of Jesus. Amen? All right. And thank you for your grace for me as I did not beat the bell today. Lord, thank you so much for your word. In and itself is wisdom. We thank you, Lord, that you've invited us to come boldly into your throne room of grace, to find mercy and help and wisdom anytime we need. Lord, forgive us for turning to the world by default. Forgive us for turning to blogs and uh, social media influencers and, and the like. God, help us to remember the wisest thing that we can do is to turn to you. To pause and pray, to seek counsel from you first and foremost. And Lord, that we would apply it as well. May we not make the mistake to think it's just one option of many but it is the best thing to do, to yield to what your spirit would lead us to do. And God, I pray that today we would be wise as we yield to your wisdom even here. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, church family.